gym <laughs> lifting weights. And you've got a couple hundred pounds on the bar and you've lifted it above your chest. You've already done a bunch of sets. In your imagination, you are very strong. But this last press, you've been struggling to lift the bar. And of course, you can feel your arms begin to give way. Did I mention that there is no spotter nearby? And because of your imagined strength, you're holding the heavy weight and what's called the suicide grip. Your thumbs are over the top of the bar instead of being around underneath the bar. And now it's beginning to slip from your hands. This actually happens from time to time. It's very dangerous. In 2017, a 15-year-old rugby athlete, Ben Shaw, decided he needed to work on his chest muscles. And while lifting alone, the bar slipped from his hands and crushed him. He was discovered 30 minutes later by a couple going into the gym. He had been there dead for some time. In that moment of struggle, as your arms begin to fail and the bar begins to sink, what feelings run through your mind? I feel powerless. I feel paralyzed by fear. I feel traumatized. I think this is what it means to feel helpless. It's a feeling that comes when you think, my life is out of control. I'm all alone in this. I'm feeling a lot of grief. I've been defeated. I feel great guilt. There's no purpose in my life. I feel personally hurt because of someone else. These feelings show up even in the strongest Christians and in situations such as these, experiencing sudden loss, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, a lost pet, or witnessing a scary event, being they're seeing a bad car accident, or even a near-death experience, or a supposed expert gives you the bad news. Your car is dead. You need major surgery. Your situation is terminal. You are going to fail. And through repeated events that previously made you feel helpless, such as well, the last time this happened to me, I was helpless. Or I saw someone else go through this and he was helpless. At that moment when the heavy bar of life is over your chest and you cannot raise it up and no one is around, in that moment of helplessness, you really begin to experience a brand new emotion, hopelessness. Let me give you some information that might help. With God... Helpless isn't hopeless. I want all of us to say that together. With God, helpless isn't hopeless. Oh, I just gave it to you again, okay? Now let's say it together. With God, helpless isn't hopeless. Now, you might be afraid, and you may be traumatized or worried or anxious, but you have part of the equation that changes everything and this is what we find in our text. We find relatively helpless people finding hope in Jesus. So would you consider with me, number one, people experience desperation in different ways. Sometimes our crisis is acute. 
When you read this story, beginning in verse 21, we have Jairus, the re- one of the leaders of the synagogue in that area, coming to Jesus and begging with him because his daughter is about to die. The synagogue leader's daughter is in immediate danger. I mean, this father knows the situation is extreme. The way the text put it, puts it, we've reached the end. There's just, there's just no way forward. We don't know where to go, but we can't go forward. And this causes him to react radically. He comes to Jesus and he falls before him and he begs him to help. Now I'll explain a little bit in a moment why that's radical. But friends, that's radical for this man. He has an acute situation. That means it's immediate, it's sudden, and it's now. I need help right now. But that's not the only way these crises come upon us. Just as this man's problem is immediate, the woman's problem, who's introduced almost immediately following Jairus, this woman's problem is prolonged. Mark's done something that scholars call a Markin sandwich, right? He has a story that begins, it gets interrupted with another story, and then the first story resolves. And so we have in the second story this woman, verse 25, with an issue of blood 12 years. Her problem's not acute. She's not about to die. She's been dealing with it for a long time. By the way, ironically, and I think Mark intends this uh, to be ironic, how long uh, has this woman been sick? 12 years. How old is the little girl who's about to die? She's also 12 years old. So God in his infinite wisdom, about the time this woman, this little girl is being born, who will come to a place of death after years of relative health, will come to a place of immediate death, is 12 years, but at the same time, this other person has been dealing with this illness for that entire time. It's prolonged. And notice the implications of her illness. It's an issue of blood, which is dangerous, yes, but the bigger issue is that it makes her ceremonially unclean. So being an observant Jew, she has an issue of blood all the time, She's unclean. The social and religious implications for herself and her family must have been pretty severe. So whether the crisis is acute or whether it's prolonged, both of them cause a feeling of helplessness or we would say desperation. And have you ever felt that way? Have you ever had that feeling yourself? And maybe you're going through that right now in your marriage or in your home, at your job, in your community, maybe because of your health, maybe even because of something you've done. But whatever the cause, you're feeling somewhat helpless. This leads us to another idea, because if that's how you're feeling, desperation, number two, Desperate people do desperate things. And and that's really what we have here. These two individuals are open to anything which might alleviate their crisis. Verse 22, there came 
one of the rulers of the synagogue. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. The leader of the synagogue is open to a brand new avenue for help. Now, let me just stop and say, this is why it's radical that he comes to Jesus. Jesus isn't particularly welcome where he is. Remember, he's been going into the synagogues and healing people. He's been going into the synagogues and he's been preaching. And in his sermons, people have been saying, he doesn't preach like the scribes. He doesn't preach like everybody else. These rabbis, he's different. And, and he's been healing people on the Sabbath day in the synagogue, so much so that one of the synagogue leaders has said to his people, don't, don't come on the Sabbath to be healed. He doesn't tell Jesus not to heal. He knows that's going to be weird. But he just says to him, come any of the other days to be healed. Don't come on this day. Trying to fix the problem. So Jesus is already on the radar of the Pharisees. The Sadducees don't like him. His healings, his preaching have created problems for other leaders. So it is somewhat of a last resort that this man now comes to Jesus. He is completely out of options. The person he would not normally turn to, not first, not second, not third, not in the hundredth case, now he's turning to Jesus. He is desperate. Desperate people do desperate things. Because letter B, they often turn to anyone who they think might be able to help them. You see in verse 25, this certain woman who'd suffered many things of the positions, she'd spent her entire savings, she, she, but she was not better. In fact, she grew worse. It says in verse 27, when she heard of Jesus, she came behind the, in the press and touched his garment, his clothing, saying, if I could just touch his clothes, I will be whole. This woman is looking for a new answer to her problem. And look at the phrases Mark uses to explain her situation. She's been experiencing pain at the hands of ancient doctors. And ancient doctors, not having modern medicine, they did create a lot of pain. Let me just stop and say modern medicine creates pain. Um, there are some who are saying someday, 100 years, 200 years from now, when however medicine has evolved to that point, there is the belief that people will look at the way we treat cancer today and think that it is barbaric. You give people certain drugs hoping to kill the cancer before it kills you. And it can be awful for people going through that. Well, you, you can identify if you've been through anything like that. This is what this woman's going through. Ancient medicine. There's, of course, the high cost of health care. Even then, Blue Cross wouldn't cover her treatments, right? So she's paid all that she had, but instead of being healed, her health is actually declining. Now it says that she heard of Jesus. And she heard, I think it said she heard that Jesus healed people. And this was an approach she hadn't tried. So she's here, I'll do anything. You just bring me an option. Give me something. I'm desperate. And the woman turns to Jesus in her desperation. She comes up behind Jesus and she touches his clothes. And I find this interesting because Jesus immediately knows something's happened. That her plan is, I'm going to touch him and be healed. And I think it's rather ingenious. It's, it's uh, pretty remarkable that this woman comes up with this idea. 
She thinks she can touch him without him knowing it. Well, she thinks that's true. And that's desperation. And if you think about this, how Mark is kind of setting up this story. He kind of explains what desperation is. You can kind of see that here. And now you can see how desperate people are doing desperate things. But really then Mark, what he's focusing on is who Jesus is. He's the hope for the desperate. And this brings us to our third point. The hope is Jesus. You see, being helpless isn't hopelessness. You'll find when you come to the end of yourself that you have Jesus. That's the solution to life's equation. To have him. He's the solution, letter A, for desperation. It says in verse 29, immediately the fountain of blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the plague. Can you imagine at that moment what she's thinking? She, I'm different. I've been changed. All of my problems have been solved. I've spent all this money. I've gone through all this pain, all this trial, all this worry and anxiety. I'm desperate. But Jesus healed me. He healed me. And she's got to be excited. Jesus, he says he knows the power has left him to go to her. It's kind of passive here, right? Which is extraordinary. The way that the rabbis would have thought an unclean woman teaching, touching the clothes of a man, he would be unclean until the evening. His clothes would have to be washed because uncleanness always passes from the unclean person to the clean person. You go back and you read all of those passages in Leviticus that explain those things, and some of them are really quite wild. You have the problem with leprosy, and it's talking about now the priest, and he looks at people who have different skin diseases and has to decide what kind of disease is it, and sometimes even in a house. I found one of the most amazing statements in Leviticus is when you find in a house a certain kind of mold, you have to scrape all the plaster off the off the house and clean everything and break all the furniture and get rid of everything in the house. And you can and go back and I thought, how long do you go without a kitchen table in your house or, or something to sit on? I guess you go for a while until you can make it. But they, you remake all your furniture. But if after some time goes by, the mold repairs, then you have to go and, and tear the house down and throw all the stones uh, outside the camp at a place it, where uh, it won't infect anybody else. Uncleanness always goes from the unclean person to the clean. And the Jewish ceremonies are all about re remaining ceremonially clean. But with Jesus, it goes the other way. It goes from him to her. Jesus doesn't become clean, unclean. She becomes clean. And there is in that idea, if we could stop for a moment, some understanding of our salvation. That when we come to Christ, we as unclean sinners, wicked, sinful, we come to him by faith and we touch his clothes. That is, we receive the gospel for ourselves. At that point, ladies and gentlemen, we become clean. 
spiritually washed, all of our sins atoned, covered by the blood of Jesus. Past, present, future. We don't have to be constantly going through these cleansings for sin. Jesus, Hebrews said, once for all, went into the holy place and made atonement for our sins. And when we come to him by faith, we become forever clean. Well, here's this woman. And she, she's something is, she's just dumbfounded. She believed, but I don't know if she fully counted on everything happening here because Jesus turns and says, who touched me? Well, now she's got to tell. And of course, the disciples, come on. Yeah. Master, look around you. Uh, we're in the middle of a mob. It's like a, it's like a, 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 the underdog winning the, the big game. And now all the fans, all uh, uh, the, the college students have poured onto the field and and they're tearing down the basketball goal, or, or the court, or they're tearing down the goalposts, you know, uh, in football or something like this. It, you know, they're just so excited. They're just all, and they're the press. You can just imagine all the people all around Jesus pressing in on him. He said, "How can you say who touched me?" But Jesus knows. So it says he begins to look around, and I think for a moment that lady she is thinking. At first, I might get away with this, but when Jesus starts looking around, she knows I am absolutely caught. So she's going to come up trembling. Well, let's talk about her. Let's set that aside for a moment. We'll come back to her trembling. She's going to come to Jesus trembling. But now let's go to the next story because the next story is, is just bringing back the first story, right? It's the conclusion of that first story because now you can almost get the sense of Jairus. Why are we delaying? What are we doing here? We need to go home and heal my daughter. And Jesus does that. He goes to Jairus' home. And now his purpose is to heal. It's active. So while in the one sense, it's passive. He's standing there. Somebody touches him. In the case of the girl, he goes and grabs her hand and lifts her up and speaks to her in Aramaic. Damsel arise. Little girl, get up. And she gets up. And if you can get the picture of what Mark is saying, it's something remarkable, is that when you come to Jesus, he's the solution to all of those problems that he's been mentioning. You come in life and you have guilt, or you have pain, or you have sorrow, whatever the problem is in your life, you come and you bring it to Jesus. If you can just get to him, he's the one who solves the problems. How often people try other things. They, they look at doctors. They look at educators. They look at government. We need a social safety net. All of those things. People tend to rely on them, hoping somehow those things will help them out of their problem. My friends, the solution has been and is and will forever be. If you can get to Jesus, that's the answer. It's the answer for your unsaved loved ones. If you can bring them to Jesus, it changes their lives. Do you realize that the worst marriage in the world is solved when people come to Jesus? Because you get changed people. The reason we pray every Sunday for our elected officials is in the hope that some of them would be saved, that, would, that some of them would turn to Christ. Do, do you know 
what would really change this world? It would turn it upside down. The entire world is if President Biden got saved. I'm not talking simply politics. I'm talking governance. What would it be like in your office if you work for an unbelieving boss, if he got saved? How would that change your office? How would it change the culture and the environment? How would it change things if your coworkers or your neighbor came to Christ? I have in the past told you about some of our founding members, Mike and Beth. They've, they've left after five years and moved back to South Carolina. We, we miss them. Um, as I understand it, Anna, their daughter, lives in our area and uh, is pregnant, is married and pregnant, and uh, that's pretty exciting. Um, um, I'm hoping Melanie is going to connect with her, uh, assuming they are able to move back to the area in a few months. Uh, that's kind of the plan. Um, but Mike and Mike's testimony that he gave to our church, I'm not saying anything he didn't say, is that the, the day his wife came to Christ, the day he came to Christ, they were headed toward divorce. Their whole lives were a wreck, a shambles. And they were part of this Mom's Day Out program at, at this local Baptist church. And a man there, John Graham, John is now with the Lord, uh, but John and his wife were just great soul winners. Uh, John had called and said, can I come over uh, tonight and just, just pay a visit to you guys? Um, and Beth was just using it as a chance to get out of the house without her kids, uh, her, her babies. And uh, so Beth said, yes, that's fine, and called Mike to tell him. And Mike said to me later, Pastor, I was so mad. What are you doing? I don't want to have this stranger in my house. He said, I was just furious. I'm sure there were choice words exchanged between them uh, that evening. Well, John shows up and was his plan all along. He uh, gives them the gospel. And Mike said, it was like a light bulb went off in my head. And I realized I needed to be saved. And he got saved and Beth got saved. And, and now they're actually helping other people in their walk with the Lord. Now, I'm going to tell you something. That's change, and that's what happens when you come to Jesus. That's the hope. The hope is in Christ. It's just, it's just life-changing. I'm reminded of uh, Lester Roloff's singing, One Sat Alone Beside the Highway Begging. Do you, do you remember that song? They sometimes play it on BBN. Lester Roloff should have never sung for other people. Okay. One sat alone. I'm not making it up. It sounded just like that. Did it not? Did it not sound like? Beside the highway begging. Yeah. yeah. But he sang that song because it, he said it described his life. Till Jesus came. That's the song. His eyes were blind. The light he couldn't see then. Jesus came into his life and changed him. You see, helpless isn't hopeless if you can get to Jesus. If you can get to him, because he can heal just like he healed the woman and just like he healed the girl. And, and really, it's interesting here because I'm using that word heal kind of metaphorically. I mean, I think God does heal people physically. It's important that we do recognize that 
all the characters in the story are dead, right? Jairus is long dead. The little girl who was dying, uh, who died maybe, is alive and then dead again. Everybody's dead. So it's, it's really not physical healing we're really talking about. As much as it is focusing, letter B, on him who elevates faith over fear. This is kind of where all of this passage is focusing. And this is where this entire first section of Mark is focusing. It's going to end with Jesus asking his disciples, who am I? And finally now we'll have the declaration, you are Christ, the Messiah. You are Jesus Christ. The one who is promised. So, so that's going to come. But all of this now is focusing on faith. And faith is going on here. When Jesus looks at the woman, who touched me? And his disciples say, how can you ask this? He looks around, she comes, she falls down before him and tells him the truth. And I imagine now her story comes out. Mark is writing for Peter. Peter's witnessing all of this. And the woman's story comes out. I've been sick for 12 years. I've tried everything. Nothing has worked. I'm sicker. I have no money left. I'm desperate. Help me. And the woman is fearing and trembling. And Jesus says, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Jesus is interested in embarrassing her for a moment because he wants her to know something life-changing about that moment. I mean, you can almost get the sense, okay, she doesn't want to be found. And I mean, in a, in a gentlemanly world, a gentleman who's, who, who sees a woman who is in an embarrassing moment covers that moment up, right? We're not going to, ah look at her. You know, we're not going to do that. That would be ungentlemanly to do. But Jesus needs to, he needs to point her out. He needs this moment to happen because he says to her, your faith made you whole. Jesus is willing to embarrass her for this point so that she will know why. Can, can you stop for a minute, a moment and realize there are a lot of people touching Jesus' clothes? I mean, that's what the disciples have said. They're all brushing up against him. But only her. She's healed because she came with that intent. I know he heals people. I'm sick. I need healing. If I can touch his clothes, I'll be whole. There's the faith. And Jesus wants her to know, hey, this is really great. You have faith. You came to me trusting your faith made you whole. I'm sorry you have to be afraid, and I'm sorry you have to tremble. You almost get, you can almost see that running through Jesus' mind, but I'm really not sorry because you now know something that's life-changing. Faith heals. Faith in Jesus. And so he says to her, go in peace. He releases her from any fear of future problems because of the way she acted, because of her faith, because she, what did she believe? Go in peace. Your life is now changed. You will be a different woman from here on out. You don't have to spend any money anymore on these doctors. You don't have to go through the pain of their uh, 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 healing methods. You don't have to go through uh, worry and fear. You've been made whole. Yes, she'll come to a place of physical death in the future, but she can go in peace from Jesus. And that's what hope in Christ brings. It brings peace. Well, Jesus also uses this to force Jairus into a faith situation. So he's paused, right? I mean, the story's pretty simple. 
the man, Jairus, he comes up. He's the synagogue leader. Come help, come help my daughter. He's on his way back. He stopped. He's on the way to the house. Probably not that far away, but it's, you need to come now. It, it's, we had an emergency situation in my home, and Jesus stops, and this entire situation takes place. And again, you can kind of see Jairus just going, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. And while he's healing the woman, here comes these people through the crowd, and they say, don't bother. Your daughter's dead. Now, I don't know because Mark doesn't explain how far away the house is from, from Jesus and the crowd. There must have been some distance, but it's likely that even before Jesus stops to heal the woman who's sick, the daughter had already died. Because you already have assembled in the home these professional wailers. They would hire people to weep so that they wouldn't be embarrassed when they wept. So they would come in and they were really good weepers, you know. Um, they've been hired to act this out. So they just wail and weep and howl and, you know, put on a good show. Well, these people are all there. These are the ones who are going to laugh Jesus to scorn when he says, you all can, you know what? You can just take a break. Just take some, take, take five. Okay, we'll see what happens in a few moments. But Jesus, he's standing there and Jairus is standing there and these people come up and say, there's no point. Just, just go ahead and leave the master alone. Your daughter is gone. And, and what do you think is running through Jairus' mind? Well, it's hopeless. Well, maybe if Jesus had come earlier, maybe if I'd gone to him earlier, maybe if I had gotten over this prejudice I have against him, uh, that all the other synagogue leaders in the area have against it. Maybe if I'd gone earlier, maybe my daughter, you, you can imagine these thoughts are flooding his mind and all of this. And Jesus turns to him. Do you see this? This is really amazing. Because he says in verse 34 to the woman, go in peace and be made whole. And in verse 36, as soon as Jesus hears what is said, he's over, he's overhearing the conversation. He's not being talked to by these other people. They don't even know him. And they're saying, don't trouble, don't trouble him any longer. And Jesus is listening. And Jesus, when he hears the word said in verse 36, he then turned to Jairus and he said to him, do not be afraid, believe. D did you see what just happened? In fact, it makes me wonder if Jairus... If he hadn't seen the woman healed, if he really would have taken this all the way through. See, Jesus is saying, you just watched what went on here. You saw this woman healed of her plague. She's now going in peace. And I'm telling you, just believe. Just trust. Have faith. Just for a few moments. Just, I promise you, believe. So they walk on. And G Jesus uses this to force Jairus to turn away from Judaism to trusting in him. So the people arrive with the bad news, your daughter's dead, any future acts are worthless, and Jesus says, trust me, I just healed this woman. Put your faith in me. And what Jesus is saying to him is, I can do 
the seemingly impossible. Helpless isn't hopeless. It really doesn't matter where you are today. The answer is and always will be get to Jesus. Turn to him. I, I, I think even unbelievers know that. I'm not sure every story I read of people trying to turn to Jesus means they'll actually get saved. I read, I read the most awful, and then at the, at the in the middle of the story, the most interesting story. I'm not sure what to think at this point of these horrible, evil people who were abusing children, who are now in prison. It was a long story, an expose on this these two men, and one of the men who is evil and terrible, I mean, the things I read, it's just awful, said, I read the Bible in 16 hours. I didn't know where to turn. This, he, he was actually a transcript on the prison log. He was telling somebody else, I just, I didn't know what to do, so I got a Bible. I don't know who told him to get a Bible, and he read the Bible in 16 hours, cover to cover. But then he said, I really didn't understand it, so I've started reading through it again, and I'm just going to keep, he said, I'm just going to keep reading it through until I figured this out. And I'm sitting here thinking, oh, could it be that this guy, as evil as he is, who will spend the rest of his life in prison, could actually end up becoming a believer? Maybe so. Jesus rescues the worst of sinners. But I'm thinking even unbelievers know, got to get to Jesus. And this is what I'm trying to tell you, friends. Helpless isn't hopeless. Whatever the situation is, if it's, if it's financial or if it's family or if it's a spiritual issue in your life, or if it's your health, whatever the problem is, God is working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He's bringing you along. Just get to him. Stay close to him. When I was in the military, one of the things we did were night marches. I don't know if you've ever been in the woods at night. Of course, you need to have night vision. I'm not talking like cats have, you know. I'm just talking regular night vision. I, I, I learned to use night vision. I learned what it was in the military. And now I love, if I'm outside at night, I try to get my night vision accustomed, get away from light and, and try to just your eyes let your eyes adjust. And as I get older, it doesn't happen quite as well as it used to, but you want your eyes to adjust. And then somebody, you know, wants to take a picture with a flash and you have to start all over about 30 minutes, you know, to get your eyes to fix. But we'd be walking through the woods and it would be so dark, so dark. And walking through the woods in a single file line, you've got your pack on your back, you have your rifle in your hand, and it's and it's you, there's no moonlight because of the cover of the trees, and you're walking through the woods. And the only thing that you can barely see is the person in front of you. And, and you're supposed to keep them close enough that you can grab hold. Now, if they fall down, it means I'm going to fall on top of the guy, right? Because uh, um, that's how close I am. But I'm staying right with him. And the guy behind me, he's staying right with me. Why? Because that's the only way to make it through the hike. Or I'm going to get lost in the woods. So I'm going to stay right with him. And that's exactly how you are with Jesus. Just stay with him. Just walk with him so that when you have sudden loss, that acute crisis or the prolonged crisis, it doesn't matter. Stay with Jesus. Stick close to him. Walk with him day by day. And he, 
he will heal your soul. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for this word of scripture today. Thank you for this story.